Good morning, everybody, and uh, it's great to be here. My name is Tim Cavanaugh, one of the pastors here at the Firehouse, and uh, there's a few people I don't recognize. I, I sure hope I could get a chance to meet you today, uh, but again, everybody's welcome. We're just so happy to have you, and it's a privilege to be here. You know, today uh, I'd like to ask and put on the spot and embarrass if I can, uh, although I don't know if I see him now, Leo Salazar? Yes. Now, don't clap. Don't clap. You won't know why you're clapping. Leo, come on up here, though. And uh, let me see if I can grab a mic for Leo. And, uh, you know, every now and again, it's great when wonderful things happen to some of the folks here at the firehouse. A lot of times those things come and go and you never even know they happened. But uh, is this mic good for Leo? So, uh, no, no, I know I didn't, but uh, that's the only way to get you up here. So I'm glad to have you. But I just wanted to give this man some honor. Uh, I'm going to start calling him Captain America now. And uh, Leo, maybe you can tell them why you're up here right now. Um, do you think I did uh, become a citizen of your United States? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. I made sure that he was of the right political affiliation first. Though, oh, yeah. Before I let him do that. No, I'm joking. But I think Leo should tell, too, you know, uh, Leo came from Juarez many, how many years ago, Leo? 28 years. 28 years ago. He was not a Christian then. But as I recall the story, he said, uh, good, see, goodbye, Mom. Uh, I'll see you tomorrow. Because he had tried many, many times to cross the border. Uh, but uh, how long was it since when you saw your mom the next time after that? Oh man, that was about I said 14 years. So he said, I'll see you tomorrow because he'd always got caught before and <laughs> taken back home. But 14 years before he'd see her again. Mm -hmm. And he worked his way here to the Highlands. But back then it wasn't the Highlands, it was the Lowlands. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Leo settled right here, not to, just a block or two away, right Leo? Yeah, right on Clay and uh, Sunai. Sunai, yes. Yeah. And then Leo, uh, here in the United States, would find his faith in Jesus Christ. Uh, he became a Christian. Uh, he married, uh, has a wonderful family. And Leo has been such a support to me over the years, both in our years back in Valley View and uh, even to the very present. What a support and encouragement. He led our efforts down in Juarez many years where we would do building projects as a church. And uh, Leo would go down in advance of the team and pick places where we put a roof on or a floor in, in a house of a needy family. And so just what an encouragement uh, Captain America has been to all of us. And uh, Leo, how does it feel now that you're an American? I think I grew up a little bit since Tuesday. Yes. You <laughs> feel taller? Yeah, yeah, a little taller. <laughs> That's right. Uh, no, you know, it's just, uh, just a blessing. Um, uh, you know, I, uh, I think I talked to the shore from Ballyville a few years ago. And I said the best thing that I got from the United States is, is Christ. You know, somebody presented Christ to me. And then... Um, uh, you know, that supersedes my uh, American dream. I think uh, be becoming a Christian was uh, the biggest thing that ever happened to me. And um, I just want to praise God for that. Well, that's encouraging. Thanks, Bill. Thanks, Bill. Congratulations. Thank you. 
So I guess it would be better not to call Leo Captain America, but Brother Leo. I think that might be more of an honor to him. And Leo's not the only one I'm going to put on the spot today. We have another special guest. But before I introduce that guest, I'm going to throw out this photograph. And I do have an award here in my pocket. It's a Russell Stover Pecan Delight. If someone can point into that picture, the most famous person in that picture. Anybody? I don't know how well you can see it out there. The middle one. Okay, and who said the middle one? Okay, Alan, who is that middle one? That's some famous person. Okay, I'm afraid I can give you the wrapping to this, but I can't give you what's inside for that answer. We need to know the name of that middle one. Anybody know? Tim Kavanaugh. Yes. That's right. I get it. No. um, Does anybody look familiar to anybody at all? This is getting back in... Okay, John, here you go, man. Okay. I've got a treat for John. He's got to do a trick, but i got a treat. It says Coolidge at the top. Oh, it does. Here you go, buddy. That's good. So, John won the award. But actually, that's, that's actually not the most famous person in that picture, just the second most. If, do you see a little girl there in a blue dress? It's a little blue. Which one is Calvin Coolidge? Calvin Coolidge is the man that uh, is right in the middle with the lighter, uh, the lighter suit. That's Cal- President Calvin Coolidge, the 30th president of the United States, 14 presidents ago. And uh, this was taken in Rapid City in front of a schoolhouse there that had just endured a hailstorm a few days earlier. See all the windows smashed out there? And uh, so now do you see who Calvin Coolidge is? The one in the front row in the middle with the light suit. And the guy to his left uh, is a Democrat. He's standing about a foot away from Coolidge. And the guy on the right is a Republican, I think. I don't know. Because he's standing right next to him. I don't know. But anyway, those, uh, that's the President Calvin Coolidge. And if you go one, two, three, four, five people to the right, uh, you'll see a little girl kind of in a blue tinted dress. And that little girl is here today. But I'm going to jump back one more picture I'm going to introduce to you here. This is one of the most amazing photographs I've ever seen. And yet, uh, I know a lot of those people in this amazing photograph. The gal on the left is uh, called Cottonhead. She was one of the neighbors of the folks that lived in this tar paper shack on a homestead in South Dakota at the turn of the 20th century. And I happen to know the lady sitting down to her left, or right. And that lady, if you notice, her left arm has actually endured a stroke. And so she has no use of her left arm. But she has a lily, Easter lily, I guess, in her right arm. Do you see that? Right hand. And her name is Martha. And then the lady standing up to the uh, right of Martha, her name is Mary. And the lady to Mary's left, sitting down, we don't know who that is. And then the little girl in front of Mary, her name is Edith. And that also, that person's also here today. Uh, The lady that would later, in about five years later, meet President Calvin Coolidge. And that's my mom, Edith Kavanaugh. So maybe give mom a hand. Now, a lot of people don't realize that in South Dakota homesteading years, which is at the beginning of the 20th century, 
10% of all the homesteaders were single, uh, single women, single moms. And my grandmother, who's Mary, the one standing, left Belle Plaine, Iowa with her mother, the lady holding the Easter lily. And together, the two of them homesteaded. Each homesteaded 160 acres in South Dakota. You have to live on your claim. And so they built this uh, tar paper shack on a line that straddled two 160s, which is a half a square mile. And they lived in that tar paper shack together so they could claim two of these 160s. And then they sold uh, the 320 and they uh, bought a, uh, a grocery store in town. And as you can tell, town was a long way away. And it probably wasn't the best place to, to build a store you know, back in those days. And made all the worse when it burned down. So that then especially wasn't the best spot. But it is a remarkable time of history. And uh, we, uh, it's just exciting that... Uh, uh, and I take great pride in the heritage that I have uh, on my mom's side there. Mom was born in 1915. World War I uh, was about one year old. Not quite. Woodrow Wilson, the 28th president, was president uh, 16 presidents ago. The first stone of the Lincoln Memorial was laid that year on the 50th anniversary of the Civil War being concluded. And I might add, when mom was in grade school, another national monument uh, mom can lay claim to because is it Borglund, the man that built Mount Rushmore in South Dakota? He visited mom's school before he built it and he asked for donations and mom gave him a dime. So mom helped build Mount Rushmore. Yeah. Anyway, so I hope you all get a chance to meet Mom. We've been excited here uh, in Mom moving here to the Denver area here recently from Iowa. And so it's just thrilling to uh, have Mom here by, uh, nearby. And uh, what do you say we pray and ask God to guide our time? We're going to continue our series, uh, What on Earth Am I Here For? Part 4. But let's pray. Lord, we just want to thank you for this day, this opportunity to be together. And Lord, we do uh, ask that you would uh, encourage us in our hearts, uplift our souls, strengthen us for the challenges of life that we face. Help this day be a time of refreshment, encouragement, strengthening. Uh, and Lord, we just want to draw closer to you, closer to one another. And again, Lord, we just thank you so much for the life you've allowed us to have here this day. Continue to lead and guide us, we pray. And uh, we commit these moments to you now. In Jesus' name, amen. What on earth am I here for? You know, this is our series that we've been on. Today's the fourth part. Rich began the series three weeks ago. Uh, then Greg Miller continued the series. By speaking of the, uh, our purpose in loving the Lord, recognizing first His love for us, and in response, loving Him. We have a purpose to experience love and to love. We also have a purpose to belong. Uh, Jeff spoke on that last week. And my assignment today is our purpose to become like Christ as Christians. With it all folks know, knew Christ. But for those of us that do, our purpose in life is to become like Jesus Christ. And you know, this question, what on earth am I here for, isn't just for adolescents. 
Maybe you think that. Maybe I tend to think that. You know, what am I going to do when I grow up? No, this question is really for all people. Everyone needs a sense of purpose. I think young people can be deceived in thinking, you know, my purpose is, you know, graduating from high school or maybe getting to college or a trade school or marrying somebody, starting a career. We think in terms of having a family, children, being a parent. These are the things, the goals, the purposes we have in our life. I think that's not quite right. I see those things as roles, things we do. But not overarching purposes that God would have for each of our lives. Purposes we share with one another. I think as we get older, like me, you know, as you get older, we can even be disillusioned if we look back on the roles we had. Maybe the role of a career we pursued, or the, a job we started, or a business we started, or children, or whatever the things we did which were roles. But no, they're not our goals our purposes in life. My goal and purpose wasn't just to be a parent of a bunch of children, was it? That was my role for a time. But no, I even in that role had an overarching purpose. And we've talked about two of them already. But today's overarching purpose, regardless of what role you have or how old or young you are, is to become like Jesus Christ in the course of our lives. That's what God wants for us. Everyone needs purpose. And every moment of every day has to have a reason. You know, on Wednesday mornings now, I go to a nursing home. And I've really enjoyed it. And I have a, a little church service every Wednesday morning at 9.30 at a local nursing home. I'm the chaplain there, and it's just kind of exciting. My congregation, uh, you know, is wheeled in on wheelchairs. And uh, three-fourths of them uh, are asleep the whole time. Uh, in fact, there's a couple in comatose conditions, I think. No, I'm joking. I think the nursing home actually gets credit for it by the state for having more people there. So we just reel them in. And I really feel sorry for the first person you know, we wheel in because they've got to sit there the whole, for 49, 45 minutes while we get everybody else together. But I've really loved that time. And there's one woman I've especially grown to appreciate and like a lot. And we've gotten to be pretty good friends. She's in the final weeks of life. She has cancer. Uh, she's an older lady. And uh, the other day, just this past Wednesday, I was visiting with Sandy. And as I was about to leave her room to get ready for the church service, asked her if she wanted to attend. She wasn't able to. She said, Tim, I'd like to just ask you a quick question. And it's a question that I asked my doctor this week. And that is, can I just stop chemotherapy? And my doctor said, by all means, no, you cannot do that, she told me. And she said, I just asked him, well, why not? And I'd like to know what you think about that. And the first thing I said to Sandy was, well, Sandy, number one, that's the kind of doctor I want to go to. You know, the one that wants to preserve my life at all costs. Uh, and I totally understand why he would answer you the way he did. But Sandy, on the other hand, you and I are Christians. And we believe in Jesus. And for us, as Paul said in Philippians, for us to live is Christ, to die is gain. And so we know that in dying, there's gain for us. But Paul actually went on to say, but to live on in the flesh is more fruitful for, for you.
And so he was willing to live on in the flesh to be of assistance to others. But he knew, in his heart of hearts, it was actually better for him to depart to be with the Lord. And I said, Sandy, maybe one question you might ask yourself is, you know, you're writing memoirs for your brother. Are you done with that? Maybe you've got some more th- writing to do. You know, how about uh, with, your, with your son? Is there any unfinished business do you want to talk to with your son? Maybe you just want to grow in faith more in the next few weeks. Trusting God through the dark times that you're facing right now and applying faith to your life and building Christ's character in your life for the next few weeks. If so, stay on chemo. If not, why not drop chemo? Why not? To be with the Lord, for that's, that's better yet. And so we spoke, and all the folks that are in my Bible study Wednesday morning, you know, I encourage them all, whether they're awake or asleep, you know, I encourage them all. You've got a purpose. There's no one on this earth that can live without it. We've got to have a reason to get out of bed in the morning. And it can be, as I've shared with them, to worship your Lord. That was one of the purposes we talked about here. And you know what my, you do know what my Bible study is on Wednesday mornings, right? Why would I create something new? It is, what on earth am I here for? They're asking that question also. And they need an answer to that question also. And one of their overarching purposes is the same as yours, to worship the Lord in light of His love for you. They're doing that in the nursing home, in their wheelchairs, and confined to their beds. Guys I talk to with one one finger or two finger, you know, they, they live out of purpose. I'm encouraging them. I was talking with a Jewish gentleman the other day, and we talked like this, one or two, yes or no. And I got, as I left there, uh, I found out he wanted me to read the Torah to him more, which I'm more than happy to do. But I also encouraged him to, to worship his God, to pray, and to pray for me and pray for people, and to live out of purpose, even in the final days of his life. We all need it. Everyone does. And every circumstance must be, must be there must be a purpose seen through that circumstance of life. Genesis 1.26 And so our third purpose in life is to become like Christ. That first line on your handout. But the first verse I want to share with you is Genesis 1.26 And it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Yes, that is in the plural, which is interesting, those pronouns. But God, let us make man in our image. And so, in Genesis 1.26, we see that God's original intent for man was to be made in His image. Now, we believe as Christians that sin has tarnished that image. It's uh, made that image look very difficult to see. It's a blurred image now. It's not HD quality by any means. And so, for Christians, life in a sense is really a process whereby we restore that image over time, over the course of our lives. We're restoring this fallen, tarnished image of Christ, of God, that God originally intended for us to have. But sin has diminished that image. But God does want us in His image. 
And another verse, John 1.12, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in His name. I love that phrase, child or children. You know, God wants you and sees you as a Christian here, as His child. And really, we should see Him as our parent, as one who loves us. I love that word child or children. It's also in this verse, 1 John 3, 2. How great is the love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. You know, I do have some genealogical interest. It's kind of how I stumbled even on those photographs of my mother earlier. And I have a photograph of, of uh, every ancestor that I could have a photograph of, except for one couple. And uh, uh, we won't go into why I don't have that photograph. Uh, Chris is also related to that couple. But we uh, have all these photographs of all these ancestors uh, when did photography begin? The middle of the 19th century. So there's a lot of ancestors that I have photographs of. One great, great, great ancestor uh, I noticed uh, and I just realized that this great, great on this wall was actually the grandparents of my great-grandmother on this wall, the woman holding the lily. And when I looked at the woman holding the lily as an old woman and this great, great, great-grandmother as an old woman, Mom can attest to this. They look identical. They look like uh, Robert Baker and his I identical twin brother. I mean, these get, they're just amazing. Children generally tend to look like their parents. And I don't get it when a baby looks like their mom and looks like their dad. I think somebody's lying somewhere there. I don't know, but... It's true, though, we are meant to look like our parent. We're meant to look like God. We're meant to look like Jesus. And our process of our life is becoming more like Christ. That's one of our overarching purposes, regardless of our role. Regardless of our role. And you know, here's another verse then I'll share. We know that God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. For God knew His people in advance and He chose them to become like His Son. Really, this is why Christians have been chosen by God to become like Jesus. That's one of our overarching purposes. Part 4 of our series. And it's even built into this verse. The first reason or first way we become like Christ is through trials and challenges and difficulties and hard times. I call them dark and difficult times or trials. And that's in the first part of this verse. God causes everything to work together for good to those who love God and are called according to His purpose. Yes, even wonderful good experiences and circumstances can work to, together for good for us. But also the dark and difficult times work together for good for us. This is what I call one of my life verses because it's one of the verses in the Bible I've gone back to many, many times over and over again over the years. Because I need reminding that whatever dark and difficult time I'm in right now, that has a purpose. It has a reason. And God is using it in my life to help me become more like Christ. He's causing all things, even that dark and difficult time, to work together for good so that I might become more like His Son, Jesus, as I apply faith to that difficult circumstance in my life.
I'm applying that kind of faith right now, every day. I have all kinds of dark, difficult things going on. You do too that we need to apply this to. But as we trust God for these times, and that brings me to my first, my first way of becoming more like Christ, dark and difficult times, you know, as we apply ourselves, we, we grow in becoming more like Jesus. Patient, more loving, more kind, gentle. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, those fruits are what Jesus is like. And these dark times helps us become those things more and more. And not only this, as it says in Romans, I left the verse off here. I think it's Romans 5, verse 2 and 3. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations brings about another character quality, perseverance. And perseverance, proven character. Proven character brings about hope. And hope will not disappoint because the love of God, His love for us, has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. And so these difficult times build character, build the character of Christ into our lives. Hey, you know, another way we can grow in becoming more like Christ, which is a, one of our overarching goals, the third we've talked about now, is to simplify your life. You know, I'll tell you what, I think I have a tendency to say yes to everything. I remember as a kid, Dad would always say uh, of us kids, you kids just need to learn to say no. Haven't you all heard that from your folks at one time or another? And uh, Dad was right. Unfortunately, uh, we never learned that lesson. And even through my adult life, I will tend to say yes to so many things. And as a result, here in Proverbs 19.23, it says, The fear of the Lord leads to life where one can sleep content and touched by evil. But you know what? I've had sleepless nights, touched by evil, because of saying yes to too many things. And this fall has been a tough time. Some of the things I didn't even say yes to, but was involved in, uh, in doing. And some things, you know, of course, uh, God wanted me to do. But I know it's been uh, kind of uh, juggling a lot of balls through this fall. It's been exciting. But sometimes it's been distracting. When I get my eyes off of uh, my overarching purposes and get my eyes off of Jesus and becoming like Him in the choices I make every day. Sometimes we need to simplify our life. Let us strip off anything that slows us down or holds us back. Especially those sins that wrap themselves so tightly around our feet and trip us up. I was driving into church this morning, Fiona was in the car with us, and we were driving by uh, the corn maze on 104th Avenue that Fiona went to last night. And I, I, it just reminded me of another saying of my dad growing up. When we drove to church on Sunday morning, dad would point to the guys in the fields, and that was it, there was a guy plowing in the, one of the fields near the maze as well. And dad would say, look at those guys working on Sunday morning. He couldn't believe it. My, what a travesty. And then that's what we did. We hit the guy in the plow. And then we hit the corn maze. And it was packed out with people. And Fiona and I both looked at it. We can't believe the corn maze is packed out even. And I told them the story to Fiona how dad said how he would look down on folks who would be working on Sundays. Because in Sundays in those days, nothing was open. You could go to the big city of Des Moines. 
Nothing was open. Uh, Casey's would be open if there was a Casey's, and there wasn't. I mean, nothing was open. And um, in those days, and life was simpler. I remember mom telling me when we were raising our kids, uh, and I don't know if it was in response to different things we're trying to do, and, you know, we didn't have it then, but you know how kids have wheeze and all that now? Mom once said to me, Tim, whatever happened to kick the can? You know, that used to be a lot of fun back then. Back in World War I, you know, back in those days, I'm joking. But you know, it's true. Our lives get so complicated. We have so many to-dos before we even put one foot out of the bed that we begin absorbed with this world and its values and we cease endeavoring to become like Christ in our character, in our values, in our lives. You know, another way we need to, something we need to keep in mind is don't be impatient in the process of becoming like Christ. Let us run with patience the particular race that God has set before us. Hebrews 12.1 And you know, I do believe that it's easy to become impatient. Someone put it this way. It takes, what, six days for a mushroom to form? And uh, it takes 60 years for an oak tree. You know, I'm on the path of becoming a mushroom, and I'm kind of impatient with that. I, I want to be a mushroom really fast. Uh, but to be an oak tree, it takes 60 years. You know, in our grove back at home, when we bought the, our home place, there was no grove. And I can't remember why. I'll have to ask mom later. And I remember 45 years ago, my dad and I planting a grove right out to the northwest corner of our house. And uh, we used soft maple. And I can understand why dad did, because it grew pretty fast. And it's not the best tree for, for long-standing duration, although it's lasted 45 years. And it grew pretty fast for a quick windbreak for a house. You know, if you were to do it right, I suppose you would say, you'd go out and plant the oak trees first. And then maybe wait five years. Then build your house. We don't always have that luxury. We didn't. Or then wait another five years. Then put in a well. Maybe wait another five years. I don't know. Put in the pick of fence. But you know, some of the things that, that are most valuable in life and that are best done are those things that take time. And it takes time to become transformed into Christ. It'll take us time for that to happen. Maybe there's habits or sin that plagues you and you have guilt. Just claim God's mercy and continue forward in the process of becoming like Christ. We'll never get there. We'll never be perfect. But you know, God puts that, that crowd above our head to grow in. In Matthew 5 it says, Therefore you shall be perfect. As your Heavenly Father is perfect. Boy, some guys will say, I'm not sure I want to be perfect. You know, I'm not sure this is for me, being like Christ. That sounds hard. But you know, He does it. He transforms us from the inside out. Uh, but yeah, God wants us. He wants us. Uh, he puts high goals ahead of us to grow into. And we shouldn't be impatient with the process. I love this song, and it's an old one. Amazing Grace, especially that one line and one of the lyrics, uh, one of the, uh, not, yeah, one of the lyrics of the song. When we've been there 10,000 years, we've no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. That's an amazing thought to me. 
And we're on this process of becoming Christ. And be patient. I knew one, uh, my brother-in-law, Julie's brother, who's with the Lord now. He died last year. Joel's uh, died of cancer there. But he, I remember him telling me once he kind of struggled. And he walked into one of his first Bible studies, kind of like this. And he looked around and he thought, man, everybody here is so spiritual. And he thought, man, uh, God is their God, but not my God. I mean, that's kind of how he felt. And, you know, again, I I just think we have to be uh, easier on ourselves. Because God is your God, too. And chances are the guy next to you have as much need as the guy to the left or right of you, or as you do. The folks around you have as much need as you do. We're just needy folks that need the Lord. You know, uh, don't be impatient. Some of you high school guys, I know uh, Jefferson Academy had the state cross-country match yesterday. I I know it's hard to believe. My daughter Fiona doesn't believe it. uh, But I ran track in high school. Um, We never had cross-country, though. Uh, But I remember running the two-mile race. And uh, my brother was watching me, my older brother. And I was just clenching my fist this whole race. You know, just really intense like that. Like like you're running a 100-yard dash. And... um, but anyway, uh, Pat advised me, he said, Tim, lighten up, you know, relax your muscles, conserve your energy. You got a two-mile run to do there. You're in for the long haul, not the short sprint. Love people. That's another way we grow in becoming more like Christ. This is one of my life verses because I have to be reminded of it over and over in the course of life. And if you give yourself to the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in darkness. Your gloom will become like midday. And the Lord will continually guide and satisfy your desire in scorched places and give strength to your bones. And you will be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. God's not taking away scorched places from us. But in the midst of them we can find satisfaction. In the midst of scorched places. And one of the... One of the conditions of that is really giving ourselves to others, loving others. You know, there's many one another verses in the Bible. You know, love one another, pray for one another, encourage one another. There's even one that says, wash one another's feet. I even had that happen to me once. Guy knocked on the door with a big uh, wash basin of, uh, of uh, dirty water. And he wanted me to wash my feet. And by dirty water, I mean, I think he had already washed everybody in our church's feet before me. He started at the back of the alphabet and worked up to the A's. And I'm a C. So I looked at the water and I looked at him. wasn't sure what to do, but I sat down and he washed my feet. And after he left, I uh, went ahead and took a shower after he left. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, the point of that verse isn't to be necessarily taken literally, I don't think. In Jesus' day, people walked in sandals, and that was a customary thing to do. But the point is, in our day, whatever other customary ways we can serve our fellows is are ways that we can grow in love and becoming more like Christ as we love other people. Sometimes I can dig deep and do that for today. I'm going to really try hard to be kind today. Uh, I'm going to really try hard to, you know, be patient today. And maybe if I'm really, really good, I can string two days together back to back. But this is really what God wants for our life. (laughs) 
the next day and the next day and the next day. When we were teaching Erin how to play piano, uh, she started at five. And I remember uh, the concept of a long time, if not eternity, the concept of a length of time sunk in after about a week of piano lessons. Maybe two. And finally she said, okay, I get it. I've got to go to piano lessons, to, uh, practice the piano today and tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day. She kept saying the next day. And we said, yeah, you got it. That's what you're kind of getting it. God wants this for us today, tomorrow, and the next day and the next day and the next day until we see Him. And you know, the Bible's got a great promise. It says in 1 John, when we see Him, we will be like Him. Until then, it's a process. But at that point in time, when we see Jesus face to face, it says we will be transformed instantly into His likeness in our unique, specific way. And then another way we can grow in this is remembering the reward. Now, I don't know if you've ever been lonely. I don't know if you've ever had to endure exhaustion, endure being judged by others, endure being fearful. The Bible says Jesus endured everything we've had to without sin. And the reason He did it was for the joy that was waiting for Him. According to this verse in Hebrews. Jesus endured even more things than we've had to. He's endured being separated from God while on the cross. He's endured the sins of the world being laid on His shoulders. Things we've not had to endure. He's endured a crucifixion. And He did all those things because of the joy that was set before Him. And all the choices we make that can be tough choices to become more like Christ. All those difficult choices that we face every single day of our lives can be made more easily if we remember the reward ahead of us. Remember the reward. Jesus said, if you give someone a glass of water, that reward, the, the reward for that act will not be forgotten. Even a little deed of kindness will not be forgotten. There's reward for that. And that can encourage and motivate us in the choices we need to make. And I'd like to conclude on what I think is the most important way we become like Jesus. This is way number six. I'm sure there's a lot more than this. But uh, there's more ways than, than uh, your character of patience can endure today. We've got to wait till you are a little more like Jesus before I can give you some more of these ways. <laughs> but anyway, I'll give you one more. And this one more is worship. We worship Christ. You know, uh, there's a life principle... And that principle is, we become what or who we worship. That's the life principle. You know, there's a lot of qualities about me that I think are a lot like my brother. Because I kind of, you know, I didn't really worship him. <laughs> and I certainly don't now. But as a kid, he was six years older. Uh, he played trombone, I played trombone. He went out for football, I went out for football. He did track, I did track. He did not do basketball, I did not do basketball. He was in Boy Scout, I was in Boy Scout. Until he joined 4-H and then I joined 4-H. I mean, I kind of did everything he did. And uh, he was someone I emulated, and in some ways he influenced who I became that way. My parents were the same way. They were in incredible people that I've looked to and tried to emulate. And, but what God would want us to do as we look to Him and worship Him for all of His glory, we become what we worship. And I believe that is a life. There's a corollary to this. We worship something. 
That's true too. Because the word anthropos, where we get the word anthropology, is a Greek word that means one who looks up. Human beings have been hardwired to worship. And God knows that. And He's so concerned that we might use that hardwiring to worship something other than Himself that He gives us the first commandment. The first commandment is we become... Whoops, how did that get there? Am I pushing the wrong button, aren't I? No, wait, there we go. Yeah, the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. Because he knows we like to put other gods before him. We like to put money before him. We like to put fame before him. Security before him. A boyfriend before him. A girlfriend before him. Friends before him. Family before him. Ourselves before him. There's all kinds of things we would like to put before God. But he's saying, no, put me. Because why? Why would God give us that command? Is it because he needs our worship? No. Well, he doesn't. I think one reason he gives us this command is because he doesn't want us to be reduced to something less than himself. Because whatever we worship, if it's less than Him, we will be reduced people. Sometimes I've wondered if a person on a street corner, I, and I, sometimes I just say, now who's he worshiping? Because he's worshiping someone. You know, and I don't know. Maybe he's worshiping himself. Happy with who he is. Happy with his lot and, and all. And sometimes he's just unfortunate, but, and I don't know all the circumstances. But I'm not sure some guys would even change a thing out there if they're worshiping themselves and happy with themselves. But then they've reduced themselves to themselves. And they won't be more than who they are. You know, there's a saying, the important thing in life is, if at any moment in time you can cease being who you are in order to become who you could be. And as we worship God and the plethora of character that He embodies, all the wonderful attributes of His sovereign power and grace and mercy and love, I mean, as we do that, we can become all we've meant to be. God even goes on to say, Hey, now don't only not worship the wrong God, but don't make some graven image to worship either. You shall not make for yourself a graven image. You know, I had an opportunity to work on an Amish farm in Illinois for three or four days. I went with a friend of mine from Iowa State. His grandpa was a bishop on this Amish colony. And we threshed oats and, you know, there's no electricity. It's going back in time, about 150, 200 years. And it was really interesting. My friend said, now Tim... I'd love to take you to visit my family there, but I only ask one thing. Don't bring a camera. They don't want you taking photographs. And I said, well, why not? Because they believe in the second commandment, he said. And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, they view a photograph as a graven image. And they're not to make any graven images. Now, I respect their faith, but I don't believe that that's what is meant by this verse. I believe what's meant by this verse is not to make, take this chunk of wood and make this duck out of it to worship. By the way, this, for those of you that were here last night, this is not a bong. I said it was a bong last night. It's a bong. <laughs> it's a bong. B-U-N-G. There's a big difference, right? <laughs> okay. B-O-N-G. That's not what this is. This is a bong uh, for a wine barrel. And somebody took this bong and carved this 
and you can't really tell, but it's a duck. They carved this duck out of it. You know, it's not uncommon over the centuries, millennia, that human beings took chunks of wood and carved things out of it and then worshiped those things. That's crazy. And why would God say not to do that in the second commandment? Because he doesn't want us to be reduced to a duck. You know? To be reduced to whatever image we're worshiping. And it might be a very beautiful painting or statue or image. But it reduces because we become what or who we worship. And God, again, He doesn't need us to worship Him for some selfish motivation. He needs us to worship Him so we would not be reduced people. And could be, again, fulfilling this great and glorious purpose that He's given us for our lives. And that purpose is to grow in becoming like Jesus. Grow in restoring the image of God that He intended for us to have, tarnished by sin, but will one day be totally fulfilled when we see Jesus face to face. My mother gave me a great gift a number of years ago, uh, a trip to Israel. And we went to Israel together, and she said, Tim, now you can be a tour guide and take other people there. And about five years later, I took another tour group to Israel, Egypt. And then a few years later, I took a tour group to Greece and Turkey. And when we were in Greece, Julie and I, we went to the city of uh, Athens. And we saw uh, there uh, so many gods they worship. But the main one in Athens was Athena. And you know what happened to the people in Athens? They became like Athena. That's where Socrates is from. That's where Plato is from. That's where Aristotle is from. Uh, that's where all those other guys with difficult names that invented mathematical equations are from. You know, Epicurus or whatever. All those philosophers and knowledgeable people were from Athens because they worshipped the goddess of wisdom. Now if you went to Corinth, they worshipped Aphrodite, the goddess of sexuality. And they had a temple on the Acropolis, the big hill outside of Corinth. On top of that hill, a thousand prostitutes up there as part of their worship service. And many of those Corinthians became Christians. Paul had to write to them two letters, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is correcting a bunch of their sexual issues. I know that's really getting you interested in reading the Bible. A lot of you guys are going to start your quiet time tomorrow morning with 1 Corinthians, I know. But it's just amazing. They became who they worshipped. And if you've ever seen the movie, how many have seen the movie The 300? Who Remember where they're from? Sparta. And who did they worship? The God of War. And that's why they were so good at it. Who are you going to worship? Really the question as we leave today is who do you worship? Who or what do you worship? Who or what are you committed to worshiping? I would only pray that it would be the God of this universe who expressed himself in the person of Jesus, who came to this earth as a human being, God in human flesh. As it says in Isaiah, a child will be born to us. His name will be Wonderful Counselor, Almighty God, Prince of Peace. We believe that child is Jesus. And that Jesus grew up, lived on earth, died on the cross to pay the penalty of our sins. Because the wages of sin is death from a holy God. Even one sin would, sin would separate us from a holy God. But Jesus died on that cross. And in so doing, He's re given us a pathway to salvation and a pathway to restoration. 
having His image restored into who we are. He's removed any reductionism and He's given us the opportunity to become all that He's longed for us to be and created us to be. He's given us the ability to grow into the crown He's placed over our heads. And as Christians, that's one of the most glorious purposes we can possibly enjoy. So let's pray and ask God to guide us. Thank you so much for your time. And uh, you know, I think there's a few donuts left back there too. So, Lord, thank you for this time. This opportunity to be together today. Lord, we just are grateful that uh, you're here in our presence. You've got a future for us. You've got a purpose for us here on this earth, regardless of what our roles are. Lord, help us live out these overarching purposes for our life, specific today. Lord, and I pray chiefly for me, because I feel more behind than all, but I just pray you'd help us all grow in becoming more like Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Oh, oh, oh.